This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about okra. Yeah. Okra has a little bit of a bad rap. It does. It has a goop factor. At least here in the U.S. I don't think in other countries it has this negative association. In the United States. Oh, yeah. People think it's slimy is the word you'll hear the most. Sure. But it can be. Some people like that. Yeah. <laughs> But it is one of my favorite foods, um, especially fried because fried. <laughs> so good. And when I was little, I think I told this story before on the show, but um, my brothers didn't like okra and it was the best thing ever <laughs> because every time we cooked okra, it was all for me. <laughs> you, you had a very food competitive family. I very much did. And I think when I was 10 or 11, they discovered that they did, in fact, like okra. Oh. And it was a travesty. Oh, I'm sorry, 10-year-old Annie. The okra ride was over. <laughs> <laughs> the competition began. I don't think I, I grew up in um in Ohio and South Florida, so I don't remember having okra until I moved to Atlanta. But really? Yeah. Whoa. I mean, I think I must I must have had it sometime, but maybe not. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I didn't. Again, this is another thing where I forget regions exist, essentially, <laughs> in the United States. Like, I, I always think of the Southwest as a particular one. Um, but I a lot of my favorite foods are Southern and are kind of specific. And that's something I have learned through doing this show. But okra is very popular in the South. Um, my mom loves 
okra and tomatoes, which is a very southern dish, and mm-hmm. I kind of adore it. She's always like, I can make okra and tomatoes. And it's like she... like a little like stewed kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it has usually because it's the south, it has bacon in it or some type of ham <laughs> in it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I love it. Um, and I am personally of the belief that a lot of people who don't like okra haven't had it cooked properly. Now, you, you can disagree, but I am not the only one who thinks that way back when Savor was food stuff and food stuff was a video series. <laughs> <laughs> and before I was on that video series. Yes, and technically before I was like a producer, but I wasn't a host. Um, we worked with Peach Dish, which is a local meal kit delivery service. And the chef over at Peach Dish, we asked him, like, what do you think is the most underutilized, misunderstood ingredients in the American cuisine landscape? And he said, without hesitation, okra. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he his suggestion was that you should, if you don't like it, you've never had it roasted at a high heat, that that's the way to go. That'll get rid of that slime Some of the thing. slime, yeah. And I've got a few more tips on that yes. later on. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I got to talk about goop. Yes. <laughs> but not Gwyneth Falcho's thing. That's oh, separate. That, that is gross. <laughs> it is not the subject of this podcast, no. Um, we also, as part of our Asheville series, we talked to Marwan Irani over at Chaipani. And um, Indian cuisine does feature a lot of okra and... Chaipani, which specializes in Indian street food, Mm -hmm. um, has, like, fried—it's, like, sticks of okra that are lightly fried. They're kind of like fries. Yeah. They are so good. Oh, they're very delicious. Mm. Yes. (laughs) And it is also a popular ingredient in Cajun and Creole dishes. A lot, a lot, a lot of people brought it up when we were in New Orleans. You might have heard Amy Sens, founder of Langbois, mention it in our New Orleans Cocktail Hour episode— But okay, okay, okay. Let's get to our question. Okra. What is it? Well, okra is the fruit of a flowering plant, botanical name Abelmaschus esculentus, I think. I'm trying. It grows quickly, the plant. Uh, From seeds, you'll get plants some two to three feet in height, that's about a meter, with a bunch of fruit within about two months. That fruit is oblong, pentagonal, um, and wider at the stem end, with the other end narrowing to a point. For food purposes, it's picked before it's ripe when it's still tender. Uh, As it ripens, it toughens up with with fibers and dries out so that it can split open and release its seeds. But when it's tender, it's got a thin skin with a bit of fuzz to it, uh, surrounding a ring of a juicy and or gooey flesh, surrounding a whole mess of seeds that are connected to like a central spike. Sort of like a fuzzy, five-sided jalapeno. That's a very good description. Thank you. You're welcome. They're often deep green in color, but can also come in like reddish or purple or a silvery white. And okra's flowers are really pretty. They, they look like hibiscus, um, to the point that it was once classified in the hibiscus genus. They are related, just not that closely. Um, they're in the mallow family, along with cotton, durian, and chocolate. Oh, I didn't know okra was a mallow. Mm-hmm, and it makes sense with the uh, mallow connection with marshmallow. It does. Yeah. The flavor of okra is mild and kind of green, like a, like bright with a little uh, sort of musky floral kind of flavor. To it. I read grassy in some places. Sure, yeah, yeah. But more than the flavor, as we've been talking about, okra is prized and or demonized for its texture, which can be quite slimy. Uh, and that's because it's chock full of mucilage, the, the same sort of stuff that makes aloe and chia seeds gooey and that we talked about, yes, in our marshmallow episode and also our basil episode. Um, but more on that later on. The name. 
We mentioned in our gumbo episode that the word gumbo probably came from an African word for okra. Okra itself is thought to come from a Niger-Congo group of languages, specifically Chui, language of West Africa. By the late 18th century, it was in use in the English language, also sometimes called ladies' fingers, which I read comes to us from India. I think I think it's through the English occupation of India. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently some athletes and others in the U.S. call it vegetable Viagra. Huh. Yeah. I didn't read about that. It was in Time magazine, so I— Oh, I just missed it. <laughs> it was specifically about the Olympics. Um, uh, okay. Very interesting. Hadn't heard that before. Um, what about nutrition? Perhaps this is why it was a popular food. Not the Viagra thing, but the nutrition thing at the Olympics. Uh, yeah, o- okra is pretty good for you. I, again, cannot vouch for that other thing. But and it's good for you, like, until you deep fry it. Sorry. Sure. Like, at, at that point, all bets are off. But it's got a lot of vitamins and minerals, uh, potassium, magnesium, vitamins A and C, a smattering of others. It's low in sugar but high in fiber, and it's got a little bit of protein in there. So even though it's low in fat, it can really fill you up. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of types of okra. Oh, goodness, so many, like hundreds of varieties that people have developed wherever it's grown. Um, And as with any commercial food crop, some of the names are terrific. You got emerald. Clemson spineless. Annie Oakley. Green velvet, white velvet, jade, silver queen, Beck's big buck, Cajun jewel, cow horn. Beck's big buck? Yeah. I got to try that. (laughs) Curious now. I'm right? very curious. <laughs> uh, okra is grown commercially in a lot of places, uh, parts of Africa, the Indian subcontinent, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and North and South America. Worldwide, humans grow 7.9 million tons of okra per year, with 5.8 of that um, coming from India. And it is, as we said, really popular in the American South as an ingredient, um, like in stewed okra and tomatoes, fried okra, straight up boiled, straight up roasted— or in Cajun and Creole cuisines, in stews or soups like gumbo, burgoo in Kentucky, and Brunswick stew, Limpin' Susan. Also featured in a lot of Middle Eastern cuisine, Caribbean, South American, and Indian dishes. Apparently not so much in Europe, aside from Greece and other parts of the Eastern Mediterranean. European listeners, write in if that's not the case. Oh, yeah. And like, like I said, it isn't the most popular vegetable outside of the American South here in the United States, but it is gaining popularity largely due to the rise of Indian cuisine. I also read that Japan likes it deep fried as well. And you can use the leaves like you would beet greens, uh, raw in salads or cooked down. You can pickle it. My dad loves pickled okra. You can fry it, dry it, freeze it, can it. You can take the seeds from ripe okra and roast and grind them and then treat them like a coffee grounds to make a caffeine-free beverage. You can also extract cooking oil from the seeds. Apparently, they can be used to make rope and paper. In two ways, yeah. Uh, The goo from okra can um, help make homemade paper especially stronger and smoother. And the plants are pretty fibrous. The the roots and stems are sometimes used for for clarification of sugarcane juice. Very important number. Number of okra mascots. Okra mascots. Mascots for okra or? No, sports teams mascots. That are okra. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Two. Two. That I, more. Know, that I know of. There <laughs> might be more. Super producer Dylan turned us on to the first one, and I cannot stress this enough. Look up the fighting okra. Look it up. The fighting okra. The fighting okra. Okay. His frown is a thing of beauty. 
I could only wish to scowl like that. And he's an okra. <sighs> what am I doing with my life? We've been talking a lot about food mascots. <laughs> uh, so you'll be hearing uh, some more of those. But in the meantime, you've got Artie the Fighting Artichoke, the Fighting Pickle, and Cayenne. Cayenne is a little scary looking, I gotta say. I'll, I'll have to find a time when I feel like looking that up. <laughs> it's not right now. It's not. I think I've had my scary mascots for the day. You've got to be in a specific mind space. <laughs> yeah. I understand. <laughs> okra is an old world vegetable introduced to the new world by African slaves. From Dr. Jessica Harris's book, Beyond Gumbo, Creole Fusion Food from the Atlantic Rim, quote, when the African-American songwriter Olu Dara sings okra, he's singing of more than just a vegetable that has become emblematic of the foods of the American South. He's singing of a food that is virtually totemic for all Africans in the diaspora. For everywhere okra points its green tip, Africa has been. From the Karuru of Brazil to the fried okra of Mississippi to the Sopa da Gingambo of Puerto Rico, the scattering of Africans in the hemisphere has flung the seeds of the mucilaginous vegetable north, south, east, and west. Beautiful quote. Yeah. Um, and we know it's old, okra. Mm-hmm. But how old is it? We'll get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. 
Alfredo? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so... Okra most likely originated in West Africa or Ethiopia. There is another theory that it originated in northern India, but it was almost certainly first domesticated and cultivated in either, yeah, West or East Africa. If we're going with the the idea or the, the history that says it that did originate in Ethiopia, then from there it spread to North Africa, the Eastern Mediterranean, India, and Arabia, and to Central Africa, probably with the Bantu migrations in 2000 BCE. As to when a lot of this stuff happened, that is a great question. Probably super early, uh, but there isn't much evidence because that area was very secluded in ancient times. It wasn't present, okra wasn't present in any of the Egyptian tombs where a lot of our ancient food evidence comes from because that's a great way to preserve something. Sure. Um, But records indicate that by the 13th century, it was growing along the Nile. The Spanish Moors might have had okra by the 12th century CE, and the word they used for okra was Arabian, lending credence to the idea that Egypt's 7th century CE Muslim conquerors introduced okra to the region. As we mentioned before the break... Okra was introduced to the New World by African slaves. It was important for slavers to understand the food of those they enslaved, not out of the kindness of their hearts, purely for profit, so that the slaves could survive the long and difficult journey. And of course, many didn't anyway. And also, planting crops from the homeland of the slaves was something slavers did to minimize feelings of homesickness. Kind of going back to that quote from Dr. Harris earlier, okra was often a marker of an enslaved community. Enslaved cooks would use it in stews with rice, hominy, millet, or corn mush um, that was seasoned with pepper, or they would boil it with onions and tomatoes, or they would serve it with rice in a dish called Limp and Susan, which is often called the wife of Hop and John. (laughs) Which is a dish of black-eyed peas and other stuff. Mm -hmm. Okra grew really easily and was really cheap at the time. By 1658, records show that okra was in Brazil and in the southern United States by the 17th century, particularly used as a thickener for soups and stews like gumbo. By the 18th century, it had spread as far north in the states as Virginia. Thomas Jefferson, of course, would later sing okra's praises. We haven't done bingo in a while. We need to bring that back. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, And then it was spread up to Pennsylvania, also to Western Europe. If we look at Asia, existing records suggest it took a bit of time for it to travel east of India. The 19th century for Southeast Asia and soon after China. So that's kind of kind of later. Mm-hmm. But that's just what the records indicate. Hard to say sometimes. There is an interesting legend that 25 young French women known as the Cassette Girls 
introduced the southeastern region of what would become the United States in 1704 to okra. All right. The story goes that they arrived in Mobile on the hunt for husbands, (laughs) because of course. (laughs) And with them, they brought okra that they'd gotten from slaves in the West Indies. And they use this okra to invent gumbo. I have so many doubts about this story. Yeah, that doesn't sound likely. No, not at all. Zero percent likely. (laughs) But interesting. Based on our gumbo research. (laughs) Yes, our gumbo research does not bear this out. (laughs) Um, And like we mentioned in that episode, around this time we start seeing a handful of recipes for okra soup or okra stew in cookbooks. These recipes were most likely passed on from slaves to educated white women. People in North America generally believed okra was from the West Indies. Yeah, the Caribbean. Exactly. During the Civil War, soldiers in the South fighting for the Confederacy, for those soldiers, okra seeds were roasted, ground up, and then brewed into a drink that was a replacement for the expensive coffee because the beans were being blockaded by the North. There wasn't caffeine in okra seeds, but... Yeah, like, okay, first of all, the price of coffee doubled in the South during the Civil War. Yeesh. According to some things I read, slaves would parch okra seeds and they would use that to make coffee that was sold to white soldiers on either side of the Civil War. In 1863, the Wilmington, North Carolina Daily Journal published an article called Okra, the Best Substitute for Coffee. It starts out, everybody, we presume, knows how to cultivate okra. Obviously. Obviously. And it goes on to just enthusiastically recommend this beverage, calling it almost exactly like coffee in color— very pleasantly tasted and entirely agreeable. Oh. Um, it recommended using a few coffee beans in the mix to get the flavor closer to coffee um, and also notes that the beverage doesn't have, quote, any perceptible effects upon the nervous system through which medium headache is often produced by coffee in many debilitated females especially. Debilitated females? I know. I'm not entirely sure what, what that is 19th century shade for precisely, but I don't really like it. No, I do get quite a caffeine headache, but I assume that's not what they're talking about. I'm not sure. (laughs) At any rate, yes, it was a popular coffee substitute. It's funny because if you, if you, person on the street style asked me, Annie, what would you use a coffee substitute? (laughs) I would never, ever, 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 ever think okra seeds, but they are kind of bitter. Like, thinking about it, I can sort of see it. Yeah. Apparently, it, it's all in the roasting technique that you do. Oh, okay. There's There's a good Instructable up for it on Instructables.com. Okay. Or is it plural, just Instructable? I'm not sure if it's singular or plural. Either way, yeah. Y'all <laughs> know what questions. It. Y'all know what website I'm talking about. You can Google. <laughs> we, we have faith in you. By the end of the 19th century, okra hothouses could be found in big cities. Yeah, this yeah. This is one of my favorite things, these very specific houses. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you, if you want it outside of, because it's a, definitely a tropical to subtropical plant. So, right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, and then from there, it's, I guess it's funny I, or sad. It depends on your outlook in life. But, uh, like, if you search for okra on page two, page two of Google search results for me was Captain D's. And I clicked on it and I was like, what, what do they have? Okra history? And all it was was, we have fried okra. Point being, there's not much modern thought. <laughs> no. Oh, that is, that is. We, we, need, we need okra to make more of a comeback. And, and I think that if people understood more of the science behind it, 
they would incorporate it into their recipes more often. I agree. And luckily enough, I have some of that information. By Jove. But first, I have for you a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. All right. So, the science of okra slime. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let's talk about mucilage. Most plants produce a little bit of mucilage, um, which is a complex carbohydrate, um, specifically a polysaccharide for anyone who's keeping track. And it's a polysaccharide that is linked up with water molecules. It's really good at holding on to water. 
it's useful in the in the roots of plants where it prevents the tips from drying out and helps them move through the soil and uh, even helps maintain like a mutually beneficial microbiome in the soil. And seeds will often produce it when you expose them to water to help them both uh, hold on to that water, save it for later, and uh, stick in the soil when they are trying to germinate. Um, some more than others, like chia seeds, are really intense about it. Oh, yeah. Really intense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okra probably produces mucilage in its fruit in order to keep moist and cool in the hot climates that it grows in. Science isn't really clear on that, though. Mm. Science, though, is investigating okra's mucilage for medical purposes as an inexpensive natural gel that can be used as a drug delivery agent for nasal medicines. That is so cool. I know! Ugh. Mucilage can link up with quite a bit of water, um, which is why just a little bit of okra will thicken a whole stew. That mucilage is the most viscous when it's in a pH environment that's neutral to alkaline, which means that if you like the goop factor, you can add a little bit of baking soda to your stew, make it thicker. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can cook okra into an egg dish, pretty tasty. The typical treatment of battered fried okra is adding alkalinity too, and um, they're usually fried hot and quick, which is how you get that crisp exterior and a particularly gooey interior. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But if you prefer to cut the goop, this alkalinity thing also means that you can just add a bit of acid to okra. This is why stewed okra and tomatoes is a common preparation and why when you pickle them in vinegar, they become uh, smooth and juicy instead of slick. Hi. Yeah. And vinegar-based hot sauces like Tabasco will cut it a little bit, too. Also, high heat, as you said earlier, like over 194 Fahrenheit, a.k.a. 90 Celsius, will also reduce the viscosity of an okra dish. Um, That's probably because heat can denature proteins, a.k.a. unravel them, changing how they function. Cutting okra into smaller pieces will also expose more of the mucilage to the heat and acid you're working with. So, yeah, that can help, too. And, yeah, lime science. Slime science. Major, major props on this one to my new favorite blog called uh, The Botanist in the Kitchen for most of the info in this section. One of the writers there, by the way, Dr. Catherine Preston, highly recommends pairing okra with, uh, like, rich spices and chocolate, as in, like, a mole sauce. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Like, fried okra pieces in a mole sauce. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Gonna have to try that. <laughs> okra is one of my, like— I, I confided. I don't know why I was so embarrassed to share this with Super Producer Dylan, but I got a couple of drinks in me, and I confided <laughs> that on my grocery list, I get essentially the same things every week, and one of them is okra. Oh. Huh. Every week. Wow. Okra. Yeah. I can't even remember the last time I bought it. Heck. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like I said, it's one of my favorites, um, and I just— I roast it, and if you roast it at high enough heat and you season it correctly, it kind of tastes like fried okra. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. That was one of my—I was like, Dylan, I've got to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> He's bracing himself. What is it? What is it? What Every week, secret? <laughs> I buy okra. <laughs> <laughs> the human mind is very interesting. And we do all have our deep, dark secrets. Hopefully not all of them are okra-related, but... I don't know. I kind of hope they are. Maybe slime-related. Ooh. Ooh, Like the Slimer from Ghostbusters. Oh, I love Slimer. He was definitely not... He was less of a villain in the cartoon. Oh, certainly. I think that was where I learned to love Slimer. And then when I got old enough to 
like really pay attention to the movie, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> yes, but sometimes, I don't know, creepy can be okay, like the fighting okra. Like the fighting okra, yeah. Only sometimes, though. Oh, yeah. King Cake Baby mascot is not my friend. We'll get to we'll get to him in another episode. We will. We absolutely will. <laughs> but in the meantime, this brings us to the end of this episode and to Listen Kind of slimy. <laughs> I I have this thing, like if we ever did a super cut of um, <laughs> outtakes, <laughs> I have this thing where I like panic right before we do this. And I say the name of the food we've been talking about, and I almost did it. <laughs> oh, I did it. You made it. You made it this time, <laughs> Annie. Podcasting is like falling off a cliff, and you're, you're grabbing oh, at things. Oh, yeah. Constantly. And you're just hoping that you, <laughs> that you say words. <laughs> it's as if we couldn't edit anything ever. <laughs> well, yeah, this is essentially live. No, it's not at all. <laughs> not at all. Becca wrote, I was listening to your Brie episode the other day, and the discussion about cheese giving reminded me of the bouquet my husband brought me on our second date, which is kind of cool because today is Valentine's Day as we record this. Oh, yeah. Who knows when it'll be when you hear it, but Mm -hmm. right now it's Valentine's Day. (laughs) We met online, and in the course of our early communication, I mentioned that I loved cheese and that I wasn't a huge fan of flower bouquets. Well, he took my comments to heart, and when he came to my door for our second date, he presented me with a homemade bouquet of baby bell gouda attached to green pipe cleaners. Instead of flowers, he had brought me a bouquet of cheese. (laughs) I wish I would have had the forethought to get a picture of it before I ate it all. (laughs) There was never any question about what my answer would be when he proposed 10 months later. Aww. I mean, a cheese bouquet is spectacular. Oh, absolutely. As far as, like, edible arrangements go. Mm Mm-hmm. Cheese. That's high quality. Get in on that. Goodness. Oh, business opportunity. Exactly. Melissa wrote, So I just listened to your ranch episode, and it reminded me of when I used to work in a cafeteria at my old university when I was an undergrad. We had the greatest house-made ranch that came in a gallon jug, and people would go crazy with it. The worst was pizza day. As you mentioned in the podcast, in certain parts of the country, it is a given that you put ranch on your pizza. Growing up in health-conscious Southern California, I had never been exposed to this until college, and I found it unnecessarily fatty. People would grab cereal bowls and fill them with ranch for their pizza. One day, I used 16 gallons of ranch to refill the container at the salad bar. We had about 3,500 people eating at that meal, but it's still too much ranch. Oh, man, Annie physically reacted as I was reading that. (laughs) And then I messed up the line and had to read it again. (laughs) I'm not so sure you didn't do that on purpose just to mess with me. Oh, man, cereal bowls of ranch. That, that, though, is the college experience. Like doing strange food things like that. Oh, yeah. To the extreme. Yeah, like that you know are weird and wrong. Yeah. Because you can. (laughs) Because you can. Because you're in a... What are they called? <laughs> Cafeteria. And there's just food. And you're free. Food for the taking. No one is watching you. Or they're joining in. Or exactly. They're encouraging you. I exactly. get you on. Exactly. I used to just eat bowls of cereal and then french fries and ketchup. <laughs> That's college. Isn't it? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 
SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.